you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The first reading is from John chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, He will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And the second reading is from 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. Good morning, church. Um, welcome today. For those of you who don't know, me, don't know me, my name is Zach, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at City on a Hill. And it's great to be with you today. As um, a few people have mentioned now, we're into week three of our sermon series, The Vine, The Trellis, and The Crow. Uh, but before we dive into that, I've got some good... Um, I said good news. Um, some good news. Over the last few months, we have been on the hunt for a new full-time associate minister, uh, and just during this week, we uh, made the offer and accepted uh, the signature um, of a one Mr. James Jensen. Uh, here's a photo of him and his family. Um, so he is going to be joining us in a few months' time, which is really exciting. You can be excited about that if you want to. You don't have to be, but you're allowed to be. Um, 
So he is, and his family are coming to join us as a, a full-time associate minister. Uh, he'll be starting on the 8th of October. Uh, he'll be joining us at church camp with his whole family, which will be a great opportunity for us to get to know him. Uh, I'm so thankful to the many people who have uh, been praying, uh, been helping us to um, you know, wisely consider and weigh up the options, uh, the uh, men and women who, uh, in our council, in our staff, in our eldership, who helped me to uh, sort of walk through his resume, walk through his competency, his character, uh, and the chemistry with our church. And we are really thankful to God that he has provided uh, James. Um, he also goes by Jimmy, uh, and then his wife, Chelsea, and then son, Luke, and Sarah. Uh, and yeah, we're looking forward to them joining us. Uh, can I encourage you? Please keep them in your prayers. They've got a couple more months, uh, five weeks actually, left at their current church, uh, where he's currently serving as their next-gen and mission pastor. Uh, and then he's going to be taking a few weeks of leave to sort of uh, reorganise his family and get settled. Uh, and then they will join us at church camp and then start on the 8th of October. Uh, and so can I encourage your prayers for him in that time? Uh, encourage your prayers for our staff as we are trying to figure out how to uh, work all this together. Uh, but I'm extremely thankful to God for who he has provided. And we're looking forward to all that God's going to do in our church over this next decade and beyond. Uh, let's pray and then let's jump into uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are the God who provides. You're the God who made all things, uh, whether visible or invisible. You are uh, the creator, the almighty God. And we uh, are so thankful for your constant provision to us. Uh, Father, we're thankful for the provision of uh, Jimmy and his family uh, in accepting this job and we look forward to all that you will do uh, through him in uh, establishing and building our church so that we might continue to know you and make you known. And Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your kind provision of your word to us. Father, you were never obligated to gift us your word. You have given us your word as a means of your grace and love towards us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that this morning we would uh, recognise your word for the gift that it is, uh, how you shape us and form us as we read it, and Holy Spirit, as you bring us to understand it and be uh, transformed through it. Father, I pray you would help me to uh, speak well and concisely, and would you be working in our hearts as we know that it's only by your power that there's any real work or change in us. We trust you for that this morning, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, before we really dive into this topic this morning, I want to take a few quick minutes to address some pastoral concerns around this series. Um, firstly, in a series like this, it's really important for us to be clear with our terminology. And during this week, I've noticed, even in the Rule of Life booklet that many of you would have seen in your gospel communities, uh, that the terminology isn't clear. And even Mike and myself uh, have probably been unclear with our terms in a couple of the sermons. Uh, unfortunately, I think this has led to some confusion. Jesus, in John 15, makes it clear that he is the true vine. Oh, that's going to be frustrating. One second. He's definitely still the true vine. Don't worry about that part. Well, that's, not, that's not what's in... Uh, we are the branches. <laughs> Jesus is the true vine, we are the branches, and the trellis is only required to support the branches. 
so that we can remain connected to the vine. Jesus, the true vine, does not need our trellises. We as branches desperately need trellises in order to help us remain connected to Christ, our vine, who is our entire life source. And so apologies if the terms in our sermons, uh, and apologies if the booklet seems to have confused those terms, but let's be confident we know from Scripture that Jesus doesn't need us and Jesus doesn't need our trellises. He is the way, the truth and the life and you and I need to cling to him. Secondly, I want to recognise that within our congregations, both AM and PM, uh, we have a vast array of differing church backgrounds and upbringings, and I think this has led to a vast array of perspectives being brought to this series. Now, we all bring biases and baggage, uh, which affects how we engage, and if, like me, you come from a Pentecostal or maybe even a Catholic background, this series might be triggering because it feels like we left those backgrounds purposefully to try and avoid this kind of stuff. Uh, The kind of teaching that either puts too much emphasis on rules or too much emphasis on experiences. However, for those in the room with Reformed or Presbyterian backgrounds, this series might feel wrought with concern regarding the regular means of grace. In other words, is this series suggesting that we replace or belittle uh, the regular means of grace, such as preaching the word, baptism, communion and prayer? Hopefully, throughout this series, all of us will have these concerns calmed. Uh, And all of us can see the opportunity we have to grow in the knowledge of the true vine and how we as the branches can build strong trellises which help us remain connected to Christ, not at the expense of the regular means of grace, but in an effort to help us grow through them. As we've been repeating for the last couple of weeks, here's the vision and the prayer uh, that's in my heart, that's in Mike's heart, that's in the heart of our leaders for this series, for our church. It's that our church would continue growing as a city on a hill, shining the light of Christ as we abide and remain in Christ through grace-driven intentionality, fixing our eyes on who Jesus is, what he says and who he's making us to be. Now that we've got all that cleared up and everyone's 100% happy and on board, let's dive into the sermon. The theologian Michael Jackson... That's definitely a joke, by the way. Like, don't, don't, don't email me during the week about that. ...said in one of his most famous sermons, I mean songs, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways and no message could have been any clearer if they want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. And now that song's stuck in your head. I don't mind if you're just grooving in your seat for the whole sermon. I'm doing it in my heart. Everyone's happy. These words are striking, aren't they? We hear this, we hear the rest of the song, uh, of the the words, uh, and we effectively, which is an encouragement to the world to change who we are and to look after others, be better versions of ourselves and change the world by starting with me first. It's a compelling vision for self-betterment, for changing the world. However, the Bible's vision for change is not called self-betterment. 
It's called renewal or regeneration or transformation and is only accomplished by the Holy Spirit who works the grace of God in our lives day by day. Originally, uh, the sermon title for this week was Examination and Encouragement. However, as I've been preparing, uh, I was concerned that these words could end up a little bit too self-oriented, too concerned with navel-gazing, looking into the self and looking for ways of self-improvement. And so I've decided to go with confession and assurance. And today we're going to look to the work of the Holy Spirit as the one who grants new life and forms that new life within us. In direct contrast to MJ's message in the song, Man in the Mirror, the Bible clearly states that our change does not start with us. It doesn't even end with us. The author of Hebrews makes this plain in Hebrews 12, chapter 2, where he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Other translations say uh, that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who starts it and brings it to completion. And he does this through the gracious work of his Holy Spirit. Apart from the grace of God towards us, we don't even desire to do God's will. We might assent to some sort of moral behavioural changes, but this is only in response to God's common grace, which is that grace extended to all mankind for the sake of protecting us from the full extent of our evil hearts. But in order to grow in Christ-likeness, in holiness, in godliness, in effectiveness and fruitfulness, we must be made new. We must be renewed, we must be regenerated and transformed. And as I said before, this work only happens through the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. The prophet Ezekiel made this clear to the Old Testament people. God speaking through him in Ezekiel 36, 26 said, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the same thing that happens for God's people today through the powerful message of the gospel. The Holy Spirit grants new life, gives us a new heart. And it's a new heart that desires to do God's will and glorify him. And this is why Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, 5, that I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And listen to this, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Not a little bit of your own sanctification, not a little bit of your own looking like Jesus, nothing. You and I are completely unable, not even to do that, but to even will that we would do that without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The uh, New City Catechism, which is an ancient way of learning the truths of God by Q&A format, it defines the work of the Spirit like this. It asks, how does the Spirit help us? The answer is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, 
gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God and he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. Now, I hate to contradict the greatest singer and entertainer of all time, but according to God's word, it's not about the man or the woman in the mirror. It's not about reflecting a better version of ourselves. It's about being transformed and renewed by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would look more like Jesus, less like our sinful selves and grow in effectiveness and fruitfulness for the glory of Christ. Being Christ-like is not bettering the self. It's growing in dependence in Jesus. In contrast to that self-betterment culture that's surrounding us, We need to see that building intentionality for knowing and understanding the work of the Spirit is how we grow in Christ-likeness. It's how we abide and remain in Jesus, which brings us to our text this morning. Uh, Let's read it again together. 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5 to 10. Uh, The Apostle John writing, he writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In order to keep our eyes fixed and focused on the work of the Spirit uh, in making us Christ-like, in keeping us connected to the vine, we're going to look this morning at these two realities of Spirit-driven sanctification. Uh, Firstly, what is sanctification, you might ask? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sanctification as the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole person after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. In really, really simple terms, God, through the Holy Spirit, is making us like Jesus. The two realities I want to look at this morning are uh, assurance, confession and assurance. Yes, I realise that that's three points. But assurance comes before and after confession. It's a double whammy. It's the most glorious double whammy you'll ever experience. So firstly, assurance. Hear how the uh, Apostle Paul instructs his son in the faith, Titus, in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 8. He says to him, For we know, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating 
one another. That's the reality of all of us. Whether you've experienced a, uh, a dramatic sense of that or just the minute sense of that, that's the reality of each of our hearts before the work of the Holy Spirit uh, interrupts that and gloriously brings us to himself where he uh, helps us see this from verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to trust on these things that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So church, although we were in sin, Jesus saved us and by washing us clean and renewing us, through the Spirit and because we have Christ's Spirit richly poured out on us, we now desire to do the works that God created us to do. Our sinful selves and the secular world surrounding us wants us to believe that uh, the real change can happen purely through us, simply by looking deep in the mirror, staring at ourselves and willing our own change in to being. So much of us really wants to jump on board with Mr. Jackson, not just because of how insanely addictive the song is, but because we genuinely think this is possible. But the Bible makes it clear, as we've already explored, that we can not. This approach of trying to figure it out ourselves only leads to a form of moralistic behavioural therapy. It's not heart transformation or renewal or new life. The Old Testament is replete with examples of uh, God's people trying to do this themselves, trying to keep rules and behaviours in an attempt to earn salvation. But according to Scripture, the only way this change comes about is through staring not at ourselves in the mirror of our own good works and behaviours, but by staring at Jesus, by staring into his perfect works. And John helps us to see this. He calls Christians to stare into the realities of all that Jesus has already done for us, that God is light and that in him is no darkness. That as Jesus says in John 15, 3, that we are already clean because of his word. Jesus, uh, just before that in John 14, 26, he says that, uh, this is the role of the Spirit to teach us all things and bring to remembrance all that Christ has said to us. Now, he's obviously addressing this directly to his disciples who are about to face very intense persecution and Jesus uh, goes to the cross, raises from the dead and ascends to heaven um, a matter of days later. And he's trying to prepare his disciples to realize that they're about to be on this earth doing that work without Jesus there. And he's going to gift them this Holy Spirit. And one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring to remembrance all that Jesus has taught them and said to them. But it's true for you and I 
I also. We come to God's word, we read it, we digest it, we ingest it, we take it in, on board and we try to get it into our heads, but really it's only the Holy Spirit who brings it to life for us. So you might be able to stand up right now and quote a chunk of scripture and that's fantastic, but it's when you're in the fire of your, the, the persecution or sickness or stuff around you going absolutely terribly where the Holy Spirit takes that word and reminds you in a way that's not just, oh, that's right, I know the words, but reminds you in a way that shows you just how true and powerful the work of Jesus through his Holy Spirit is in your life. The Holy Spirit grants us assurance by reminding us and helping us to understand that in Christ, we already have all we need. We've been gifted our salvation, our right standing with the Father, and we've been gifted the Holy Spirit who keeps pointing us to the finished work of Jesus. When we feel like we've failed God once again, the Spirit is there to comfort us to remind us that we are already clean, that our feeble efforts at godliness are beautiful to him because we're already clean. Our attempts are not for cleanliness. They are feeble attempts at living out that cleanliness. Which brings us to the second point, confession. The practice of bringing our sins out of darkness and into the light. As we've uh, just learned from the New City Catechism, one of the other main roles of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts us of our sin. He shows us where we're falling short against God's standard, and he draws us to confession and repentance. He shows us He shows us how we're turning from that sin and turning towards obedience to Christ. I know for my own life, I would much rather that my sin is kept secret, that it stays in the darkness. The Holy Spirit continues to show me. He continues to talk about it in his word and point out that darkness is death. It's only by bringing it into the light that sin dies and we truly live. John shows us by uh, telling us uh, that in God there is no darkness. Therefore, if we are to be in Christ, if we are to abide and flourish, the darkness of our sin must be brought into the light, that we can walk in the light. And he even goes as far to say in verse 6 that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Or in other words, we are not heeding God's word to us. We are ignoring the truth, not practicing the truth. We're treating it as unimportant. Now, maybe a quick aside to preemptively answer a question you might currently have. The way that John writes these verses could be misheard or misconstrued to suggest that it's only once we confess, only once we are walking in the light that we could be made clean. However, this would simply not recognise that John is already talking to Christians. This is written to those who are in the faith and he's talking to those who have spiritual life, who have been saved and therefore he's telling them exactly what we're talking about today. 
It's an assurance, confession, assurance sermon from the Apostle John. Because we have the grace of God in Christ, because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can now walk in the light by bringing our sins to the light. We are freed from slavery to darkness, with new hearts that desire to live in the light, to live in freedom. And he says that the way we practice this truth is through confession. This practice of bringing our sins into the light. We do this in two primary ways, individually before our Heavenly Father and corporately with one another because the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the desire to do this. So as I said, individually, uh, we're coming before our Heavenly Father and we're speaking to Him the wrongs we have committed and corporately, both in the sense uh, together here at church and more directly with our brothers and sisters in Christ. What I've found to be of great comfort for my individual confession of sin before my Heavenly Father uh, and I've found this helps as well when you're with brothers and sisters or even in the congregation um, is um, as I grow in my understanding of where I fail God or just how sinful and deceitful my heart actually is which causes me to grow independence upon Christ's finished work. Here's a prayer of confession I often pray. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbours as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is the prayer, but it's a good prayer. And here's how the Holy Spirit uh, has been utilising it to bring more of my sin out of the darkness. When I first started praying this prayer, it was fairly surface level. I would be mindful of the bigger sins in my life, and they're normally called sins of commission, ones I know I'm committing against God. Uh, And usually we're fairly uh, aware of what those things are. We know what the right thing to do is, and when we don't do that right thing, we know we've done the wrong thing. Great example would be this morning when my six-year-old woke up at 5.30 and drew me to absolute frenzy that I swore more times this morning than a pastor should have on a Sunday morning before he gets up to preach in front of you all. You don't have to laugh at that because I know it's not right. But that's just, that's the truth. And I would bring these sins to God and I put them in the light. And in his mercy, those sins which are already forgiven begin to be put to death. However, as I've grown by God's grace and the Spirit's work, um, he's put those sins to death. The Spirit of God has utilised this prayer to bring to light those sins which I often don't even realise are there, uh, often called sins of omission, ones we often don't realise we're committing against God, this line in that prayer, and by what I've left undone. 
is now becoming a confronting but comforting moment of prayer with God. And those things so deep in my life which wrestle against the Spirit's work are brought into the light. And I realise that it's not just the things I knowingly do against God, but it's also my negligence, my ignorance of His presence or His grace in my life. When I go about my life thinking I'm now more wise, more disciplined, uh, that I don't need to bring certain things to God in prayer or seek guidance from his word, but that I can begin making my own decisions based on my own good feelings about my wisdom, I quickly come undone and realize I've sinned against God. When we are staring at ourselves in the mirror and we're trying to bring the good out of ourselves as if we've ever had any control over that at any point in our Christian lives. It's the sin of not coming to him, of not abiding in Christ. And it begins us down that path of thinking that we are the vine. Be encouraged to take this prayer or something similar, a prayer which brings you face to face with the reality of your sins and your desperate need to bring them into the light, that they might die and you might live in Christ through the Spirit. We pray a similar prayer to this corporately each time we take communion, uh, which is another way of living in God's blessing or abiding in Christ together, together as this expression of God's body with one voice, we make it clear that each of us and together as a church body, we have sinned and need grace. However, I think we can sometimes hide behind this mass corporate prayer and we deceive ourselves into thinking that we have actually brought stuff into the light. In his book, Deeper, pastor and author Dane Ortland asks these questions. Are we trying to develop spiritually in the dark? Is there someone in your life who knows you are a sinner, not only generally, but also specifically? Not just in the abstract, but also in the concrete. It's scary to go there with another brother or sister, but surgery is scary too. Yet is it not worth going through with it, given the healing and restoration and life and health awaiting us on the other side? The blessing of confession with brothers and sisters in Christ is that as we bring these sins into the light, our friends in Christ help us. They pray for us. They remind us to keep trusting Jesus and to flee from those sins and put them to death. As the Apostle James tells us in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I'm encouraged to know that this is already happening amongst us. Even in our small crews in our gospel communities where we break into men's and women's groups and go deeper with one another. It's also happening with people in our church intentionally catching up together. Uh, They meet for coffee or a meal. Uh, They read the Bible. They confess sin together. And then they pray with one another. And they point one another to the already finished work of Jesus on their behalf. And this should be a challenge to us. That if we are in Christ, we are already clean. Which means we are freed to be honest about our sin. 
When it comes to prayer in small crews at GC, we don't have to just ask for service, surface level things like my neighbor's sick cat. We can confess we've messed up before our holy God, that we didn't trust him in this past week and we disobeyed him. Because we are clean, we can confess. And our brothers or sisters in Christ help us in prayer and pointing us to Jesus. And as John says in verse 7, we grow in the additional blessing of having fellowship with one another. This is a beautiful means of God's grace towards us. As we confess our sins to trusted brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit works that desire in our hearts to bring sin to the light with one another. We grow in our fellowship with one another. Our unity and our union deepens. We express and experience the depth of love for each other that Christ shows to us through his finished work on the cross. That work, which John goes on to say, is Jesus cleansing us from our sins by his blood spilled on the cross. Which leads us to the reminder of the first reality of sanctification. We grow in assurance. How beautiful and comforting are the words of 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we read these out every single time we pray the prayer of confession together because just as much as we need the practice and reality of confession, of bringing our sins before God and one another, we need the constant reminder that Christ has already finished it. That Jesus perfectly lived according to God's will and ways for us. That Jesus died on the cross, the death we deserve for us. That he rose to life three days later, victorious over sin and death for us. That he ascended and is now praying for us to the Father. That he grants us forgiveness of our sins, his own righteousness, his rightness with God. And he gifts us his Holy Spirit who grants us newness of life. This constant reminder over and over again that we are fully, freely and forever forgiven. Which means that we aren't earning our right standing with God by confessing. But we're living in our right standing with God as we bring our sins into the light. Through the Spirit, He causes us to desire to love and obey the Father. To abide in Christ and to flourish in this gift of grace-bought life which He won for us on the cross. Uh, Once again, in Dane Ortland's book, he quotes... John Newton, the Puritan preacher who famously wrote Amazing Grace. He said, John Newton, uh, in responding to a letter uh, from a woman in his church who was pleading to him to help her understand how does she grow in her knowledge of Jesus, this was his advice to her. The best advice I can send or the best wish I can form for you is that you may have an abiding and experimental sense of those words of the apostle which are now just upon my mind looking unto Jesus. The duty, the privilege, the safety, the unspeakable happiness of a believer are all comprised in that one sentence. 
the prayer uh, of confession that I pray most mornings ends with this gospel assurance. It says, For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The constant beauty of the Holy Spirit's work in us, that growing in our desire to bring sin into the light through confession is the reality that the Spirit continues in his work of granting us assurance, of gifting to us the glorious, wondrous, transformative comfort that Christ has won our salvation, that our sins are forgiven and that we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. It's this circular continuity of knowing Christ's love and forgiveness, then confessing the sins we are wrestling with by the Spirit's power and being once again comforted by the Spirit that we have Christ's love and forgiveness, which assures us that we can keep bringing our sins to the light, followed up every single time by that beautiful reminder that we are already clean in Christ. Church, if we long to be a church that would continue growing as a city on a hill, shining the light of Christ as we abide and remain in Christ through grace-driven intentionality, fixing our eyes on who Jesus is, what he says, and what he's making us to be, then church, let us grow by the Spirit's pointing us to the finished work of Christ. To the Spirit's power and leading in confession and our knowledge once again of Christ's finished work for the forgiveness and cleansing of our sins. What a beautiful reality that as God's children we get to live in, that we've been made clean, that the Holy Spirit is helping us to see where he is working in us and forming us in Christ's likeness. And as we continue to bring those sins into the light, he then assures us again that it's all okay because he's already cleansed us. We're already his children. Those sins that we're confessing don't disqualify us from being his children. We're already and will never be let go of being his children, which gives us all the more comfort and encouragement and opportunity to keep bringing those sins before him. It's like more and more is coming out. We're bringing more and more brothers and sisters in Christ into that picture. Each of us are looking around. We're seeing the sins come out. We're seeing the assurance of God's goodness and kindness to us and that we're still children and nothing we confess or do or say removes us from being children. And we keep growing in encouragement and insurance. I don't think my voice can keep getting higher as I keep trying to escalate just how wonderful the mystery of God's grace towards us is. But are we getting it? Like God is good, church. Be encouraged, confession of your sin. It's scary. It's like what that quote from Dane Orland was saying. It's like confronting surgery, but we know on the other side of it the life and the light we have because we're already clean, we're already God's children, and none of our confession removes us from that church. Let's continue to grow in our knowledge of Christ, in our abiding in Jesus by trusting that the Spirit is comforting us and leading us to bring these sins into the light, that they can be put to death, that we can continue to grow in Christ's life. Let's pray. We, Heavenly Father, are poor and needy, 
But you, O Lord, take thought of us. You are our help and our deliverance. Father, we thank you that you have helped us, you have delivered us, and you are still helping us through the gracious work of Jesus on our behalf and his gifting of your Holy Spirit to us. Holy Spirit, would you grant to each of us that growing warmth of assurance and knowledge that we are clean because of your work on our behalf. And that nothing we say or do, no matter the scariness of confronting that sin before you or before our brothers and sisters in Christ, none of that is enough to take us from the grasp of your loving hand. Thank you that we can confess. We can come to you. We can go to one another because we are clean already. Help us to live in that cleanliness. Help us to live in that spiritualized life that you have granted to us in your great grace and mercy. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.